Well, good morning, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Okay, there we go. I can hear it now. Okay, good. I always have to play with this thing whenever I get to wear it, and it's kind of weird, and it, I don't know. So anyway, at least you guys hear me. That's the important thing. Uh, my name is David Henderson. Uh, most of you guys know me, but in case you don't, I serve as student minister here at Journey Church. Uh, my lovely wife, Stephanie, and I are uh, a team in that. I certainly couldn't do that on my own. Uh, and so, so grateful to have her as a partner in crime and ministry and in life. Uh, with that. Uh, before we get rolling, I want to uh, dismiss Kidmo. So if you are in second through fifth grade, love you, bud. If you guys will head on back. And if you're new to Journey and you're not sure exactly uh, what this is, this is just a time of worship and uh, Bible study for these guys. If you want to, you're more than welcome to follow them back. If you head right out to the back here and hang a right, go all the way down to the end of the hallway, hang another right, and then this wing here is our children's wing, and uh, they can direct you where to go. Uh, before we get rolling, I do want to thank Jessica from Nations for coming and sharing the update with us. It is, I don't know how you guys feel, but I think it's just awesome to be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus. And I know that we're the church and we're supposed to be that, right? But I mean, just to know that that is actually happening. And I'm just so grateful for the partnerships with, whether it's Nations, uh, with Room in the End, with these other ministries locally that we have, uh, just to be uh, connected with that. And I hope that you are as well. Um, before we get going, uh, I do want to uh, just open up in prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time for his word to be uh, made known, to open our hearts and our minds, and um, just for his words to, uh, to come through me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I am just so grateful uh, that we have this place together, Lord, for this, this awesome church family. Um, and God, I pray that you would uh, just bless this time, Lord, may your word be proclaimed. Pray, Lord, that, uh, that I would get out of the way and that your, your spirit would come through and would, would share what you want us to hear this morning. God, I pray that we would open our hearts and our minds and have ears to hear. And Lord, I uh, just pray that as we continue to look at this story in the life of Joseph, uh, God, we, uh, we see how you, you come out and how you play a part in it and what we are to do with that today. God, we're so thankful for all that you've given us. We're thankful for the many blessings that you've given this church. And God, thank you so much for uh, pushing us to obedience, to connect with these different needs in the world, and to uh, just, again, to be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus. We love you. Pray that you forgive us of our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, we're going to be in uh, Genesis, as we have been for the past few weeks. Uh, This is week five of uh, our baggage study. Today is going to be what we're affectionately calling baggage claim. So if you want to flip to Genesis 42, if you have your Bibles, also, uh, if version, I guess we got the slide up, so we should be good. Uh, if you go to version on your phone, the Bible app, and you can uh, go to events and navigate to that, and you can follow along there as well. Um, before we get rolling with uh, today's uh, scripture, and just so you know, and I've, I've got a time window, so I'm going to try to stick with it, but we've got a lot to cover, and so there will be a lot of reading, so hang with me on that. Uh, but I do hope that, uh, that the Spirit blesses you this morning and what we're going to talk about um, just to kind of catch everybody up really quickly, here's kind of what's happened so far in the story of Joseph and what brings us to where we're at today. Uh, in terms of the baggage and what's kind of been handed down and such uh, that could potentially cause issues for this, this somewhat dysfunctional family, uh, Joseph is Jacob's most loved son. We read about that weeks ago. So we've got some, some potential issues for the get-go, right? You've got one child who's favored above the others. There's going to be some sort of drama that comes from that. Uh, if you remember uh, a few weeks back, Mark mentioned the sins of the father and kind of talked about what that looks like, where um, it's not so much that future gener- generations are necessarily punished, but rather if those things continue, 
uh, there is drama, there is stuff that comes with that if left unresolved, okay? Um, later on into the story, we see Joseph, uh, he essentially tattles on his older brothers when they're out working in the field, and he gets on their bad side from the get-go. So we see that kind of happening right from the start. Uh, right after that, Joseph has the uh, prophetic dreams where his, his brothers specifically, but also his family bow down to him. We're going to actually look at that a little bit this morning in our, in our passage. Uh, immediately after that, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. He, uh, shortly from there, he winds up in Potiphar's house as a servant, uh, but then becomes put in a position where he is essentially given control over everything in the house except for the one thing that he should not touch that ultimately got him in trouble, which was Potiphar's wife. And she had uh, certain lustful desires and ultimately pursued him, uh, falsely accused him of making a pass at her and ultimately anger Potiphar. Joseph goes to prison. Uh, in that, two of his cellmates have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams and it works out well for one of the two, not so much for the other. Sorry if I'm moving too fast for you, but I think if, we're, if you're with us, you kind of know where we're going. Um, the baker and the cupbearer, if you remember, were the two, the two cellmates there. Uh, the cupbearer is the one that had the more favorable dream. And Joseph says, hey, make sure you remember me whenever, it is, whenever you go or released and go back to the Pharaoh. Ultimately, the cupbearer fails to remember him, at least not at that time. And then Joseph ends up staying in prison. But what we're going to see, though, and we caught a little bit last week, was that uh, Joseph actually does come out at the right time. Okay, um, From there... Pharaoh has the two dreams, and the, finally the cupbearer goes, oh, yeah, there's this guy, right? And he is able to interpret dreams. Maybe he can help you out. So Joseph interprets the dreams. If you remember, both the dreams meant the same thing. They pointed to the time of plenty and the time of famine that not only Egypt would experience, but the whole world was to experience. Okay, so even immediately following that, Joseph says, you know, Pharaoh, you ought to, uh, here's kind of what you should do. You ought to get somebody who can really plan and kind of help get ready, you know, store up food for the time, during the time of plenty. And then when the famine comes, everything, if you can manage it well, put somebody in charge to handle that, things will go well for you. And he's like, you know what, that's a good idea. Hey, is there anybody? No, wait, there's this guy. Let's put him in charge. So Joseph ultimately is put into a position of authority over the land of Egypt, answering only to Pharaoh himself. Okay. Now, a few other things have kind of happened between where we left off last week and where we're going to pick up in today's text. Uh, namely, uh, Joseph uh, gets an Egyptian name. So he becomes Egyptian, if you will, an Egyptian citizen. He gets married. Uh, the years of the plentiful harvest begin. And near the end of that time period, Joseph's two sons are born, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. They come into play uh, later on. Um, the famine begins before we get into our text today, and not only does it impact Egypt, but it impacts the entire world. And then when people start coming to Pharaoh, because he's the one in charge, right? People are coming to him and said, hey, what should we do? We need food. And he goes, go see Joseph. So he defers people to the wisdom of Joseph in order to buy the food. And then we get to where we're at today. So recap of our story there for you. As far as the points we've talked about this week, or excuse me, up to this week, here's kind of what we've got. Uh, so far, we know that we all have baggage. We need to recognize it and we need to own it. Okay, we all have baggage. We need to recognize and own it. Secondly, unchecked baggage has destructive consequences. Again, think about what happened in early life of Joseph and ultimately the dysfunction of that family. Consequences. Thirdly, when we are neck deep, excuse me, when you are neck deep in your own baggage, obey God's word. So when you know you've got the issues that come from that, Turn to the word of the Lord. And then I think from last week, we can sum up and say, God can work to remove or redeem 
our baggage. And with that, let's just jump right in. Genesis 42, if you'll follow along with me, we're going to start and read the first part of the chapter. It's, it's a lot, but just kind of hang with me, okay? Starting in verse 1. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and and in charge of selling grain to all people, it was to him that his brothers came. When When they arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother, and I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know your spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go back home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked? But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, because he had been, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from, uh, with, from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. He, then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home, so the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. So what do we see going on in this text? Number one, I think it's interesting that uh, even though Joseph, we see the emotion, he goes and he weeps. So this is, this is not just a, he's not turned completely cold-hearted against his family, despite what they did to him. He feels some emotion with this. But what are we observing here? Number one, uh, we're seeing some prophetic fulfillment going on here. Joseph's first dream becomes reality when his brothers who had hated him ended up bowing down to him. Remember, he had the two dreams, right? And the first one was his brothers bowing down. And we're going to see in a little bit, this is not the first time this happens. But that dream, those dreams begin to come back. Secondly, God working through Joseph's baggage. Joseph begins to steer his brothers toward the path of repentance. Now, it may not seem like that, but that's, 
you're, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how things work in a process, especially when it comes to really getting through our baggage and such and getting through the mess we find our, so, ourselves in sometimes. But it's a slow process, and he starts to kind of steer them in that direction. That we know that because of what they said when they realized this is because of what we did to Joseph years ago. So they're starting to slowly connect the points. And that's that second point there. Acknowledgement of sin for Joseph's brothers begins. Okay? Now we see God very much at work in this story. And we also see Joseph taking action as well. And that's really important because uh, when it comes to dealing with the stuff that we, that we deal with in life and our baggage, uh, something that we have to, um, a lot of times we'll say, well, I'm just going to give this to God and he'll, you know, he'll handle it and he'll get us through it. And that's very true. But at the same time, though, we do have to engage with God and, and take action in order to own our baggage. And here's what I mean. Um, we should certainly cast our cares and, and, and offer prayers to the Lord and ask for him to guide us through things, ask for him to take our burdens away. But at the same time, though, it does not mean that he wants us to sit idly by on the sideline and not do anything about it. Okay? And that's kind of what we see going on here with Joseph. Um, he is, even though there's a lot in this, a lot of content going on here, a lot of uh, things that we're looking at, a lot of, uh, almost a slow time frame from this point. We've got, we got three chapters to hit. We'll, we'll get there, I promise you. I know that sounds like a lot. Um, but there's a lot going on there, but Joseph is taking action, okay? And he's starting to push his brothers in the direction that they ultimately need to go uh, in, in order to, for this whole situation uh, to be resolved. Now think back uh, to what Mark said last week. He was talking about disciplines. And he talked about specifically how uh, one of the things that he wrestled with was entertainment. Just wanting to turn to that to kind of escape reality kind of thing. And just, just kind of, uh, you know, just go the way and turn the TV on or if it's sports or whatever. And he talked about those, those disciplines, whether it was um, getting back to the gym and things like that. And ultimately, there's going to be small steps there, right? Uh, for example, um, Steph just signed me and her both up for some upcoming runs. And we got to get moving, but we're going to get there, okay? And it will take, we're not going to be ready. I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to be ready to run a 5K by tomorrow, okay? I was at one point, and I've kind of, you know, gotten off track. Um, but it'll take baby steps. It's a process, okay? Now, another thing I want to mention to you guys, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this just for a second. What exactly is going on with Judah in this situation? Um, and here's kind of what I mean by that. Um, I want to back up for a second and, and talk about a story we didn't even mention. It was it, it almost seems somewhat unrelated to this baggage discussion, but it really does have some significance. Uh, we kind of skipped over chapter 38 in our beginning and look at this story, and I just want to highlight really quickly what happens there, and we'll talk about how the how relevant it is and what we're seeing out of that. Um, remember, Judah is one of the brothers, obviously, and he was very much in favor of the hateful act that was taken towards Joseph. At first, they talked about killing him, right? And then they made Jacob think that he was actually killed, but ultimately they sold him. Judah was totally on board with that. So sinful kind of nature coming out there. The story that we didn't talk about at all, we're just going to highlight really quickly uh, in chapter 38. Judah has three sons, okay? Uh, His oldest son marries a woman named Tamar, and then he dies. In keeping with Jewish law, the second son marries the older brother's widow because what was supposed to happen there is if, if a... Um, if, if a man passes away and he leaves a widow, the brother, or a, a younger brother of that man was supposed to marry the widow and have children with her for, to be heirs for his older brother. Okay. Um, so that happens. Uh, unfortunately the second brother does not want to have kids for his older brother. And so ultimately the Lord strikes him down for his disobedience and he dies. 
So after that, the youngest son is just too young. I don't know how old he was, but he was too young to marry at this point. And Judah's not exactly warm to the idea of having his third son marry this one woman who was married to his two dead sons. I mean, let's be real. I don't think we would either, right? It's kind of, she's kind of bad news, it seems like. So um, he doesn't set up any arranged marriage here. He leaves that alone. Well, then later on in that story, uh, Tamar actually deceives Judah into sleeping with her. And she, she disguises herself as a prostitute. Well, then later on uh, in the story, when it picks up, when it comes, it comes to find, uh, Judah finds out that she's pregnant. He's still her daughter-in-law because he was married to both of her older, his oldest sons. Um, he finds out that she's pregnant. He knows it's not with the younger son. And so he wants to have her killed. Okay. Well, then later on after that, when uh, she's able to produce some items that he left, because with the whole prostitution thing, there had to be the payment. And so he left some of his uh, personal belongings with her and when he wasn't able quite to furnish the, uh, I think it was some sort of cattle or goat or whatever that was the agreed payment. And so he left, uh, I think, a staff and some other, uh, some other accessory with her. Well, when she's able to produce those and he goes, oh, wait, that's my stuff. He realizes he's the father and he's the one that helped her to commit that sin. Okay, so I know that sounds kind of crazy, but here's why that's important as far as this story is concerned. Judah's got some serious sin in his life. We know that from early on when he was when he was all on board with, uh, number one, killing Joseph. But then when Reuben steps in and says, let's not kill him, let's just sell him. Judah's like, okay, but still sinful nature coming out there. Then we have this issue with Tamar. Now, here is the significance and some of what we're going to see with some of this this redemptive uh, story that we have in today's text. Um, if you recall, Judah is the Israelite tribe from which the Messiah is going to come, right? Okay. So with that, not only is he the tribe, but also specifically, if you read in Matthew and in Luke, when we see both of the, the genealogies of Jesus, in both of them early on, the, the bloodline actually involves this, this messy situation with Judah and Tamar. Because one of their sons was in that bloodline that Jesus came from. Okay? That is significant because that shows that God will take what is messy and use it for his purpose. Okay? And that said, that is not telling us that we have freedom to engage in this stuff. But ultimately, he's going to redeem it. That's part of what we've been talking about. All right? Now, I want to fast forward really quickly as we get into our, uh, next, our next chapter here. Uh, with Judah... We start to see a little bit of change here in him. Now, we know what we just talked about with the sin he's wrestled with and some of that baggage from that. But now in chapter 43, and we're going to pick up halfway through in a second, we start to see Judah looking like a different man. Uh, in chapter 43, in a conversation, this is when they are back in Egypt. He's talking to Jacob. Jacob's about to send them again to get some more food. And Judah reminds Jacob, hey, we can't go unless you let us take Benjamin with us. Because the guy said, you won't see me again, and therefore you can't get food from me unless little brother comes with you. Okay? So he reminds them they have this conversation. And then ultimately from that, uh, Judas promises Jacob, he says, look, I will be the surety or the, I will make sure I'm responsible and take full blame if anything happens to Benjamin. Okay? It sounds a little bit different, but the willingness for Judah to have that change and to be willing to be responsible to stand in for his brother points directly to the Messiah that's going to come from that tribe, I think. Let's continue with our reading this morning. Verse 
This is Genesis 43. We'll start in verse 15. So the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, These men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside uh, the palace. Then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them into Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. The brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance to the palace. Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to buy food. But as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We have brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put the money in our sacks. Relax. Don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. The manager then led the men into Joseph's palace. He gave them water to wash their feet and provided food for their donkeys. Then they were told that they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts that they had brought him and bowed low to the ground before him. Here we go, see that dream again. After greeting them, he asked, How is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. The waiter served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despised Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to age from oldest to youngest. Then Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. All right, we talked earlier about how likely we have to take action uh, in our, if we're going to get, not only to give our, our, our burdens and our baggage over to God to, to deal with, but to actively become involved and engaged with him in that process. Um. Something that I think that we see here as we progress through this story, claiming your baggage almost always will involve some action on the part of other people. Claiming your your baggage, excuse me, will almost always involve some action on the part of other people. Now, whether that means that they have to do something to play a part, or if you're banking on them to forgive you for some wrongdoing that you've done, other people are going to be involved. Very seldom do we find that there's this really big mess of this, this stuff that we carry with us and it's just us. Okay? Other people are going to be involved it's to some degree. Now with that, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit uh, with what we're seeing in the story today, truly owning your baggage can take time and involve a grueling process. I'm going to hit on this and emphasize this again in a minute, but we have to be willing to be patient and not... Expect things to happen overnight. You know, we talked a little bit a while ago about the, you know, the running and the working out and the discipline for that. Discipline cannot take place and ultimately lead you where you want to go in a small amount of time. It will not happen. And God didn't design it that way. 
it's interesting that we, we actually talked this week with our students about um, we want to understand kind of some, some bigger theological terms, if you will. So we talked about uh, justification and sanctification and glorification. We looked at Romans 8, and Paul specifically connects the point of justification when we were made right with Christ through faith to the glorification, which doesn't happen here, but happens when we are actually with Jesus and we are made like him, exactly like him. But that in-between, that sanctification, that living set apart, that looks different for different people, and it takes time. That's, I think that relates here because it will take time. It will look different for different people, and very likely it's going to involve difficulty. So that grueling process we talked about. All right, this is the last little bit of scripture we're going to read today, and then we're going to finish up with some points, and then I have something I want to share with you myself. Uh, this is Genesis 44, starting at verse 1. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal, sil- my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen from stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. When the palace manager caught up with the man, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup and with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. Then all, stop for a minute. Think about what this is going to do to Jacob, right? Because he, Benjamin is his life at this point, And we know that that's who they're talking about. Let's pick up. Um, the palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys and again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived and they fell to the ground before him. There's that dream again. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? Who's speaking here? Judah. Pay attention to this part. Oh, my Lord, how, how, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant just say one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a, is a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his, of his mother's children. And his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your, we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we cannot go unless our youngest brother goes with us. 
We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons. He's talking about who? Rachel, right? Benjamin and Joseph. Um, As you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to the grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. Okay, we don't see a lot of detail in between, between uh, the time that, that Joseph is sold into slavery and um, the, the ten brothers, not Benjamin, obviously, what their relationship with um, their father looked like. But I would suspect as much favor as being given to Benjamin now, after Joseph is presumed to be dead, that things were probably rocky at best, wouldn't you say? He holds them responsible. Now, the other thing we have to take into consideration here is the, the culture, the Jewish culture back then, the respect that was given the father as the patriarch of the family. Um, these ten brothers ultimately are paying some of that respect. It doesn't say that, but we know with what the culture was like, that that has to, in, at least in some part, be the case. So there's probably, this is speculation, okay? There's probably a, an element for all these years of um, they're trying to respect their father, but they know their relationship is not what they would want it to be. Um, with that, uh, the point, and think about where we've come. We've got uh, Joseph working, and he knows that God is present in the situation. He knows the Lord's present in the situation, because if we go back to last week when we talked about the dreams and stuff, he knows that God is the one that's interpreting the dreams. It's not him. Okay, so he's fully aware of God's God's hand and the things that are going on. Um. But with all the things that are going on and the, the complexity that we see in this text today, something that uh, we have to kind of think about when it comes to our own bags and our own situations is that things may and likely will have to get worse before they get better. We've got to be willing to accept that. Again, not an overnight change. Even in not dealing with the mess in our lives, but wanting to become more like Christ, wanting to become sanctified, it's not an overnight change. Now, we give the power to him. It could be if he wanted it to be. But we often see in our lives today and those around us, it's, it's not. So we have to be willing to be patient and to be a part of that process and to go a step at a time. And when it comes to resolving things, as much as we want the Lord to just take the burden up and not deal with it, we have to be willing to be patient and let him work in those situations and recognize that he can and probably will work in those situations to bring out, bring out something better with that. Okay? If you're going to really own your baggage, you can usually bank on having to clean up a mess or having, having to carefully navigate your way through a process in order for that to happen. Kind of talked about that a minute ago. You've got to be willing to do this. And you can't claim that you're going to own that situation or own that baggage unless you're willing to be patient with the process. You have to. That's the only way you're going to... Because what will happen is... You, you take some steps and you start. And some of you guys, and I'll be honest, when it comes to things like addictions, I honestly don't know what that's like. So I'm not going to act like I know what you're dealing with if that's, if that's a struggle for you. So I just want to make sure that you understand that when you're hearing the words I say. But um, I've seen people that have dealt with it. And I know they'll take some quick steps and they'll think they'll be right on the right path. And then something can happen and they'll shoot too far ahead before it has, actually has a chance to work. And they're right back where they started. Or they're just, maybe they've gone back to whatever it is, whatever the vice is for them. 
Okay, I do know enough about that to, to share that with you, that sometimes that can happen. But ultimately, whether it's addictions, whether it's you know, whatever it is, we've got to be patient. We've got to be willing to be a part of a process and to let things work at a potentially slower pace. Removal or redemption of your baggage may mean that others involved must experience a process as well. Your patience will be a necessity. It may not just be you that's part of the process. Maybe it's somebody else. And that's tough because we don't have any control, do we? We can encourage, you know, hopefully, um, if, even if, it's, if we feel like it's our situation, we've got others where we need them to kind of move at a pace or move to a certain point before we feel like we've gotten out of it or that the mess has been cleaned up. Um, that's tough because we ultimately can't control them. We can't control their actions or how quickly they move, how quickly that we, that we want them to move. So our patience is a necessity in that situation. It, it has to be. That's just, that's, that will just, that, it's tough. And uh, often when you hear, you know, don't ever ask for patience or don't pray for patience because you don't like what you're going to get, right? Um, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't uh, ask for that because we're, we're afraid of what that can do. But a lot of times the Lord's going to put you in situations where you're going to have to have more patience anyway, whether you ask him to or not. Because um, a lot of times that is something that most of us struggle with. Um, I can say I typically have had an issue with patience somehow with my two children. Um, and I, I appreciate my wife telling me that I seem to be more patient with things that they, they sometimes subject us to. But, um, uh, yeah, sometimes God just puts me in that situation and I've just, I've got to be patient. Um, a couple of more things to share with you guys, uh, before we kind of wrap up here, <clears throat> I want to go back to the situation with Judah and kind of what that points to. Uh, Judah's intervention that we've seen here acts to display two roles. Number one, he foreshadows the Messiah. We know that because he comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah's behavior and Judah's willing to step in and be responsible for Benjamin's life. We can equate that to, if you're paying attention, we can equate that to Jesus standing in and being responsible for our sin because we know that all the sin of the world was nailed on the cross that day. All of it. Up to that point and going forward. He took all that sin on. He, took, he stood in and took that for us. We see that in Judah in this story. And knowing the, the cool thing is, you know, Jesus didn't have that nasty, sinful past that Judah did, right? It's, it's amazing that God uses that to put Judah in, make him this changed man, uh, which is going to get right into my next point, um, to be that, that man that's going to behave in this way. Uh, second point, they're beginning signs of change in a man moved towards change. Let me read that or say that again. We see the beginning signs of change in a man that is moved towards change. So Judah's not all the way there yet, okay? But we're starting to see it. And that's kind of what I'm going, where I'm going with that point. All right. Claiming your baggage, because this is kind of what we're seeing here. Next week, we're, gonna, we're just going to see an awesome you know, wrap up of this story and it's, it's going to be amazing. And if you, if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. So I won't spoil it for you. Um, but today we're talking about coming to the point where we're going to claim what our baggage is. Let's be real. Joseph could have been bitter. He could have been, he could have disobeyed God and he could have, he could have put all those, all of his brothers in prison. And I don't know what would have happened with Benjamin. I do. I would suspect that Jacob probably would have died sooner than he did and, and less fulfilled. Um, and it may be that Joseph never got to see his father again. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry about that. Um, but really quickly, uh, claiming your baggage. We, we need to operate with hope of a smooth outcome 
but be prepared for complications before the outcome is realized. So we want to move toward the outcome. We hope it goes well. We hope it goes smoothly. Be prepared for complications. Be prepared for some mess to be cleaned up. Think through a game plan and encourage outcomes knowing that you're not the one in control. We see this today. We know that others are going to be involved in that process. You can't push them more than they're going to move themselves. You can encourage it. But ultimately, you can't control their, their actions in that process. Okay? So encourage the outcome, but know that you're not in control. And, and let's be real here. It's not even us or the individuals anyway. If we're not giving this to God's direction, it's not going to resolve the way that we, that, that we want it to or the way that really is going to, going to be the best for us. Number three, accept the fact that you have to get the ball rolling, engage with God in this, and know that you may have to be broken and humbled again. We've already been there, right? We've already been broken and humbled, or we wouldn't be, this wouldn't be a mess. This wouldn't be baggage. But it may have to happen again. Think about um, sometimes when, if you break a bone, I, know this, I don't know how good of an example this is, but we'll use it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the doctors will try to set it or whatever, and then they'll go, well, you know what? It's not really healing like it should, so we've got to break it again and reset it. And I can't imagine having that happen. That would just gross me out. But, um, but, that, but sometimes we've got to be broken and we've got to be humbled again before we're moved to a point of resolu- resolution and before God ultimately redeems our baggage. And finally, mercy and grace are required. Mercy and grace are required. Now, we, will, we know because of the promise we have in God, we will experience that through Christ. But we have to be willing to show mercy to others. And that's tough because some of us aren't very good at it, are we? We've got to show mercy. We've got to show grace. Grace, a lot of times we find that when the more we're expected to be patient, we're having grace with people, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to have it with people, but we've got to be willing to do it with ourselves too, right? Because sometimes we don't want to forgive ourselves, and then we won't move anywhere. We've got to have mercy. We've got to have grace. All right, before we wrap up, I'm, really, I'm almost, I'm went over on my time, but that's okay. Um, but I'm, I'm keeping it pretty tight. Uh, before we wrap up today, um, I want to be transparent with you guys about something. Uh, just kind of some baggage I've dealt with myself. Um, and I hope to um, you know, kind of tie in with this story. I think it's interesting. I mean, this story obviously involves this sibling rivalry, right? We got the, the jealous brothers. We got Joseph, who's the golden child. And then, you know, Benjamin, who kind of sort of becomes the golden child. And these 10 are, you know, they're not, they're not as feeling the same kind of love from their father that, uh, that the, the two brothers were. Well, interestingly, my baggage involves uh, my siblings as well. Um, I can honestly tell you I'm at a place where I feel like it is uh, the, the Lord's taking control of that. Um, and it's something, a process I've kind of gotten through and some things he's shown me to deal with that, but I still want to share it with you. Um, I am the oldest of three. I have a younger brother, younger sister. Uh, and there we've, we've kind of had different things we've gotten into different choices we've made and things like that. Um, all three of us have children now. Um, but I watched my younger siblings uh, get to experience parenthood before I did. Um, Steph and I were married when, you know, we were kind of watching that unfold. And um, I got to a point, I won't get in too detail, but I got to a point where uh, I, was, I was jealous because I knew I wanted to be a dad. We, we'd been ministering to kids and working with kids forever. We talked forever about being parents. 
Um, and I watched this, and of course I was happy for them. And I have, they're, I think they're in Kidmo now, but uh, one, one of my nieces and nephews are here today. They came with my folks. Um, and I love these kids. They're fantastic. Um, but I watched this go on, and uh, I, was, I was honestly jealous because I'm like, when am I going to get to experience this? Um, and along with that, some of the things that we went through in our lives and stuff, a lot of attention kind of got placed on my other siblings. I was jealous of that too. And because um, I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I, I haven't always done the right thing. I haven't always made the best decisions, but I felt like they were good enough, I guess. Um, and so I, I was wondering, you know, why is this attention going over here? And I'm not, I'm not feeling the love, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but I just, there was an attention thing. And it's stupid because I just, normally I don't feel that way. But I look back at those times and I was like, yeah, I was, I was jealous. Mostly of the, the, the parenthood thing. Um, and so I went through this time of, of just, you know, looking and, and, you know, I see my, uh, you know, my sister has you know, my niece and then my brother has kids and Steph and I are going through this time of wanting to have children um, and just wrestling with that. And I kept looking, I kept looking at them. I'm like, why are you not getting to experience this? And finally I got to a point of where God got my attention and said, David, stop, stop looking at them. Stop worrying about that. You look at what I've got for you. Stop looking at them and look at me. And it got to a point where he says, I've got something different from you for you than what you maybe thought I was going to do for you. And Steph and I both, I mean, there's, we look back at the conversation and we didn't see things unfolding the way they did, but they did. Um, God had in mind for us to be adopted parents, which I would not change for anything in the world. Um, it happened later than we wanted, but that's, his timing, right? Sometimes it works out that way. Um, but he had something good for us. And once I stopped wasting my time being jealous and looking at somebody else and focusing on what he had for me, then I start to see him take that stuff and, and move it in his direction. Once I started to focus on him. Think about what we talked about, one of our points. When we find ourselves in a mess, focus on God's word, which is going to point us to his attributes, which is going to point us to his purpose. God had a purpose for me and Steph. And once I quit messing around, I quit, pay, quit being jealous about stuff and paid attention to him and what he had for us, then blessings come. Then that baggage starts to be redeemed. There is one other thing, and I, this is one I wrestle with periodically. I just don't worry about it. I just don't worry about it. Um, I do still have a, a bit, I think from time to time, that I am the one, only one of the three of us. It's not to say that all of the, the grandkids got to except for mine, but I am the only one of the three of me and my siblings that who, whose children did not get to meet my mother at all. Wrestle with that sometimes. Um, and I'm not necessarily jealous of my brother and sister in that. I just, I just kind of have that why question to, to God, you know, because I, I would love to have been, her to being able to see my boys, or at least one of them. And I just, that's just a situation where we say, you know, um, I don't, I don't let that affect me. I just, I have the hope that I'm going to see her one day. And I know the way that, was, that Stephanie and I are trying to raise our sons. We're trying to teach them about the Lord. We are trying to, you know, instill that in them now. And ultimately we can't control the decisions they make later on. Uh, but we are trying to do what's obedient to the scripture and we're trying to lead them up in the way they should go. And so with that, I just hold on to hope that one day she'll, she will get to see them. It may not be when I wanted it to, and that's okay. But 
just trusting him in that. Letting, letting whatever he has in mind for me, whether it's for her to see them here or later on, when it happens is not really the big issue. Think about Joseph. He wanted to get out of prison sooner than he did, right? But he got out at the right time. She'll see them at the right time. It'll be okay. And I've got, I've, I can trust in that. Um, last thing I want to leave you with, and I'll, we're going to wrap up. Um, I hope that you are seeing, and, and la- next week as we finish this up, I hope you are seeing God's working through the baggage of Joseph's family. I wanted to spend a little time talking about Judah today because he's a very pivotal character um, in that story because he, number one, he is the, the head of that tribe that, that Jesus is going to come from. And even in that messed up situation uh, of sin, God uses that for the bloodline that he's going to come from. And we've all, no matter what we're in, and I'm just, I was so glad that Jessica shared what she did today. Um, I, I think my stuff is silly compared to the hell that she described, that she experienced, that she saw these people. Like, I've got two healthy kids. I can't imagine, cannot imagine what those kids are dealing with. And I've, honestly, I feel kind of stupid thinking that my stuff's that big of a deal when that's going on. So it really gave me some perspective. But no matter what it looks like, we're all dealing with different stuff and it affects us differently. Trust the Lord in it. God who is strong enough to save, who sends his son as the stand-in for us. You know, he, didn't, he didn't have to do that, but that was his plan. He broke fellowship with the Father. He came to this earth. He lived the life that he did and fulfilled the law. He took our sins and everyone else's sins to the cross. And then he conquered death to show that he's worthy to be praised. I hope you're putting your, your hope in him today. And if that's something that, that you haven't done yet, if it's not a relationship that's real for you, I hope that that's not something you wait on. Because that's the only reason we got hope, guys. All this mess we live in today, that's the only, God is the only saving grace we have. And he's the only one that can ultimately make anything of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just just humbled that you've used me today. Lord, and it's not about me. It's not about any, any experience I've had or any, any words that, that I've shared today. But, Lord, it's, it's all about you. God, it's about your son. It's about your purpose. Everything that we find ourselves in, no matter how tragic or significant that may seem to us, it all points back to you. And, God, I just pray that you help us to see that. Lord, I pray that in this story that we are looking at uh, this currently at, in our sermons, that, that we are seeing you active in the life of Joseph and we're seeing the redemptive grace that you have and that we can know that that's not even something that just happened then, but that's real today too. And God, I pray for this church family, Lord, that your redemptive grace is being felt by everyone in this room. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that does not know you, as their Lord and as their Savior, God, that that's not something they would wait on. They would make that decision today and begin to take steps of obedience with you. God, I pray that, that we recognize and we, that we comprehend the, and we, we feel the gravity and the weight of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And we let that be the driving force each and every day as we walk through, whether it's our messes or our triumphs and our victories that you allow us to experience, that we all point those things back to him. 
God, thank you for using our situations that we may not see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. Thank you for giving us desires, whether it's to be parents, whether it's to be successful. But God, help us to be mindful that those, des- those desires can point back to you and they can ultimately give you the glory and that's what they should be doing. God, I pray that you be with each, each person in this room perhaps that is struggling, that is in the mess today. And God, that they put their hope in you, that they trust that whatever it is they're facing, that you're a God that's big enough to make their mess beautiful and to make it something where they experience the victory of Christ. And that whatever, no matter what the sin is, no matter what the obstacles may be, that you're big enough to help us overcome. You're the God that is always there and you don't change no matter what changes we may face. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that we have hope and way and a way to be with you for eternity. Lord, please, please forgive us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.